Peter chapter 3, verse 1 through verse 9. Let's go ahead and read it responsively this evening. I'll read verse 1, you folks verse 2, and back and forth uh, until we reach verse 9. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 through 9. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. For this they are willingly ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. But the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Would you read that last line together with me where it starts with not willing? Ready and begin. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And our Heavenly Father, we thank you for that promise from the scripture that is so true. And we find it so often repeated through the word of God, how that uh, the road to hell is, uh, is uh, taken by those who have deliberately gone around the barricades that you put in place. We recognize, Father, from this passage and many, many others, that your will is that uh, people would turn to Christ and be saved. We recognize that your desire is not for anyone to be on the broad way that leadeth to destruction but to enter in at the straight gate and the narrow way that leadeth to life everlasting. And I pray, Lord, as we consider these various uh, roadblocks that you've put up uh, on this highway to hell, that um, you'd help us to recognize our personal responsibility as believers related to these things and, and uh, help us to be doing our part in waving the warning flag and trying to get folks to take the exit and uh, look for the straight and narrow gate. And Lord, we ask your blessing on the, on the uh, scriptures as we read them tonight, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Think like us. We're supposed to think like him, and that's the way it ought to be. And thank the Lord for that reminder. Uh, in song there, they say that the, uh, the mama eagle starts taking the soft stuff out of the nest when uh, it's time for the eaglets to get with it and learn to fly and making it uncomfortable, making the nest uncomfortable. So we thank the Lord that uh, he doesn't allow us to get really too comfortable in this world because he wants us to fly. He wants us to soar. He wants us to look higher uh, than uh, just the comforts of this world. So there's some good truth in that, uh, in that uh, song. Take your Bibles back to Second Peter again, if you will, uh, chapter 3, verse 1 to 10 there. I'm going to uh, just go over some, some various uh, barricades that you might think of. 
when, uh, when you're thinking of God's desire that uh, people would get off that highway. Now, there's, there are those people who err uh, in their desire that, you know, God's judgment wouldn't be what it is. And, uh, all of us are burdened with that when we think of judgment, when we think of hell, when we think of the condemnation for sins and everyone, uh, anyone with any good sense is bothered by the idea that people will suffer and that they will face condemnation and judgment, that they will go to hell, and none of us desires that. And so it is um, the part of some to just in wishful thinking hope that somehow or another that won't happen and that won't be so and that God will eventually, you know, find a way to save everyone. But um, the fact is that Scripture makes it clear that the vast majority of persons, uh, you know, are, are on that road to uh, hell, that highway to hell. It's, uh, it's a fact that uh, we are born with a sin nature and we reach a point where we come along in life to the place where that we decide ourselves that we don't want to do the right thing and we do want to do the wrong thing. And so we make the choice at some place along the way that we willfully disobey truth and right and make the choice because of our own selfish motives. And so we come to that place in our life and we reach that age that we have labeled the age of accountability to where that we're old enough now that we understand right and wrong and we recognize that there is right and there is wrong. And we have a conscience that's operating. We consciously make a choice to do the wrong thing, knowing it's wrong, deciding to do it anyway. And at that point in our life, whatever that time frame is, our spirit that uh, is within us dies. Paul refers to that in Romans 4 and 5 and 6 and talks about the need for the Spirit to be born again, to be brought to life. The connection between us and God is broken now, and our spirit is dead, and we operate now in a, in a realm of a soul and a body, but uh, have a spirit that is uh, uh, non-operational. And so we, in, we enter that road that... Uh, Book of Matthew calls the broad way that leadeth to destruction. And we're on that road with many others. Uh, the Lord Jesus lamented that uh, it's a broad way and many there be that go in thereat. And so it was a, it was a, uh, a heartbreaking thing that the Lord didn't speak it with glee or with joy or with enthusiasm or with a happiness that so many had taken and are taking that road. He spoke it with a burdened and a broken heart uh, there. And so the broad way that leads to destruction. But, but God's always had barricades all along that way. And you and I have the responsibility to get the flags and be flagging people off of that road. And so the barricades along the way, and I want to just point out some of them that we might think of and these are simple things, but uh, uh, bear repeating and need to be, we need to be reminded of them. And the first barricade that I wrote down was the barricade of the Bible. The barricade of the Bible. And you're not far over there. First John 5 verse 13 is a 
verse we often use to comfort those that uh, struggle with the question of, uh, you know, how can I know that I'm saved? And the Bible makes it clear that we can know. 1 John 5, uh, 13 says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have everlasting life, eternal life. And so from the side of the Christian, we have the Word of God to comfort us and to, uh, to acknowledge, to be able to say, I know that I'm saved. I know that I have eternal life. We can know that. Uh, religion does not give you that opportunity. Religion says by doing these things and these things and these things and these things, you can hope that you will have done enough in order to gain eternal life, but you can't know. But the scripture makes it plain that we can know. And it's not based on our doings, it's based on his done. And so we are glad for that. But on the other side of that, you may have wondered, why did he say, it's almost like he repeated something down there on the other side of it there. And he says that ye may believe, these things are written, and he's talking to the Christians first. <coughs> Excuse me. And he says then, uh, these things are written, and if you take that middle part out and just come to the end and, and put those two together, that's, it, it, gets, it makes it more clear in your mind. These things are written, and go down to the bottom part of that verse and it says that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. So he's talking to believers first, and then he's saying these things are written that ye men, people, might believe on the name of the Son of God. So the Word of God is that first barrier that we might uh, point to, that God has placed, that God has put in that place. God gave His Word, God kept His Word, God's preserved His Word down to the uh, present generation. And so uh, we have that barricade of the Word of God. Brother John over here uh, works with a a group that translates the scriptures and uses uh, recordings and different avenues to get the gospel into various languages that don't have uh, a complete Bible in them and, and reaching the world, reaching these uh, remote tribal peoples and so forth with the gospel. And so that's something that's going on here and, and around the world. Uh, the Word of God is what we're, uh, we're working to get it out to, to the places that uh, don't yet have a full, uh, full opportunity as we do here in, in uh, the states and in, in the civilized world. Uh, the fact is, though, that the Lord gave His Word and preserved His Word and wants the world to have His Word. Uh, the world doesn't want His Word nearly as much as Jesus wants them to have it. The Bible the Word of God. Wycliffe tells us that the Bible has been translated into over 670 languages, the whole Bible in over 670 languages. And the New Testament has been translated into 1,521 languages to, to date and is continuing on. It's, uh, it's escalating a bit too with the increase in the ability to use computer technology to be able to do these things. And so it's escalating um, a bit now, and we thank God for that. It's, the, it's an ongoing work. It's a needful work, but Wycliffe tells, tells us that. Guinness Book of Records compiled some estimates some time ago and concluded, and this was several years ago now, but concluded that there were well over 5 billion copies of the Bible printed, have been printed. So there's 7 or 8 billion people in the world. There's almost a copy of the Bible for every person in the world uh, when you think about that, these uh, are uh, records, of course, that are, are based somewhat on the compilation of estimates, but 
it is likely that that number is less than the actual number of Bibles that have been printed uh, since the, the beginning of uh, the printing of Bibles. And so the various bestseller lists don't even bother to include the Bible because it's always way, way ahead of number one of everything else, of course, you know. And so they don't even talk about the, the sales of the Bible uh, in, the, in the states or in any given state or in the world. It's always, um, you know, astronomically above everything else. So the Bible is a barricade that God has put there and has, uh, has given to the world in hundreds of different languages. And now the fact is that the Bible is accessible online around the world. Now it's accessible online in many, many languages around the world. Um, and so some of you, you take advantage of that with uh, a, a Bible program on your smartphone and you may, like I do, uh, use the, uh, use the uh, schedule one of the schedules that's available, there's hundreds of them available, one of the schedules that's available to keep you on track in your Bible reading, and you may do that. But such a thing is, uh, is uh, common around the world. And of course, with the uh, technology developing to the place and the speed it is developing, we're finding that, uh, you know, they're putting smartphones in the hands of very uh, distant places and tribal people. <laughs> I've seen uh, images of... Um, Remote African villages that have um, that have uh, satellite dishes on them. They got a little hut there, but they got a satellite dish up there, you know, and uh, have that capability of receiving the um, the internet from from uh, these given into these remote remote areas. And you know, we may say, well, you know, all the bad stuff on the internet and all that stuff. Yeah, and this is true. But thank God, also available in that same uh, circumstance is the Word of God. So we thank God for that uh, these things are, uh, you know, available to be used in that way. So as hard as um, people in places like Communist China, as much as they're determined not to let the Bible get to the people, the Bible is getting to the people. There are now many, many more uh, professing Christians in China than there are in all of the United States. Uh, they far surpass us in the numbers uh, of believers in China than, than in the States. Of course, it's, uh, you know, it's a, a country where the Bible is basically you know, very, very closely monitored and, and uh, the churches are under assault there. We just read of one uh, last week, a large ministry that they just came in with no warning at all, bulldozers and, and just plowed the building under and scattered the people uh, there in communist China. It's difficult for me to understand how so many persons in our country are enamored with communism and socialism. And these are the ultimate ends of communism and socialism, the control of people's minds and thoughts and and the control of what they're, uh, they are able to read and able to hear. And in spite of all that, in spite of all of that, uh, Christians are, are uh, winning others to Christ in, in uh, remarkable numbers in places where the, the, uh, the propagation of the gospel is, is very strictly uh, uh, monitored or even forbidden altogether. So thank God for that truth, though, that the Bible is that roadblock. But certainly much remains to be done. 
uh, in getting the word out to the, the world. Much remains to be done. So there's the barricade of the Bible, and then there's the barricade of creation itself. Let's take a look in the scriptures at a couple of things here. The evolutionists are having a tough go of it these days. They're just losing ground left and right, you know, in their arguments. They're, it's, it's, the problem is facts and truth are just pesky things when they get in the way of your agenda. So, uh, and they're really getting in the way of the agenda of the evolutionists these days and the, uh, the advances in scientific knowledge. And I'm not opposed to science True science, you know, the science as it's, as it's properly defined, I'm all for it, you know. And we have a great debt of gratitude to owe, that we owe to science, uh, to medical science and to, uh, uh, to the various uh, sciences in the areas of engineering. And the advances that science has made possible for us are, are uh, too numerous to mention. We're all for, Bible believers are all for science that is true science. But the Bible warns us of science that is science falsely so-called. And certainly we see a lot of that. The evolutionary, um, you know, the evolutionary model is science falsely so-called because it's promoted as though it were fact when there is no verification of fact in it. And so it is science falsely so-called. You uh, certainly have a, you have a system of faith, a system of belief in evolution, but you, don't have, you do not have science. It's not science. And so when you go to science class, uh, young people, and you're uh, sitting there, if you go to public school, they're going to, uh, you're going to be barraged with some science that is true and lots of science that is not uh, and so uh, we, we recognize that, and, and uh, the evolutionist is, uh, is really losing ground there. Uh, the fact is that the Bible makes it clear that creation is the model from which come all things. Uh, and you say, well, pastor, we can't prove that. We can't prove evolution, and we can't prove creation. So both of them are accepted by faith. You simply take a look at the evidences of both and say, which one makes more sense? Which one is more likely? Which one seems to have the, the greater uh, uh, weight of evidence behind it? And so you know, all we have is, is the evidence, uh, evidentiary uh, um, uh, issues to look at. We don't have, nobody was there, you know, uh, other than God when the creation happened. But we do have the written word of the one who was there. So... We got one up on the evolutionists. They, didn't, they weren't able to get anybody there in the, uh, in the beginning, you know, when, when their big bang happened. They weren't able to observe it. And, so, and they cannot repeat it in the laboratory. They're unable to repeat it in the laboratory. So they're, they're having a tough go of it right now, and, and they're, uh, they're having, uh, some, they're having some, uh, uh, some people that are, <clears throat> are leaving their ranks now because the, uh, the more... The deeper we get in, the more, uh, the more ridiculous the theory of evolution appears. And so we, we're thankful for that. We're grateful for that. But we have the, the testimony of the Word of God concerning creation, and creation itself is a barricade. Uh, look at uh, Psalm, well, go to Romans 1.18. I'll, uh, I'll just read Psalm 19, verse 1, but I want you to go to Romans 1, uh, 18 through 25. Romans 1. 1 18 through 25. 
the barricade of creation. Uh, Psalm 19 says this, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. The word firmament is the word for expanse or space. Uh, firmament showeth His handiwork. Now in Romans 1, in 18 through 25, we see this declaration that, uh, that creation itself is a testimony to the reality of God and is a barricade on that broad road that leadeth to destruction. In Romans 1, verse uh, 18 and following, if you uh, look there, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest, is made known, is revealed. That which may be known of God is manifest in them, in the unrighteous, in people uh, that are part of this, um, part of this opposition to God. It, uh, that which may be known of God is manifest in them, among them, to them. For God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they, the unbeliever, the scoffer, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man, and to birds, and four-footed beasts, and creeping things. How true that is today. How much emphasis is put on Beasts and critters and four-footed things and animals and animal rights and plant rights and tree rights and bush rights and all that, every kind of right except for people's rights, you know. Uh, and they traded that off and became fools in that respect. In verse 24, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. The creature demands a creator. And he says it's simple enough <clears throat> that nothing of complexity just came about by itself, that the obvious evidence, the obvious testimony of anything that you look at, uh, of any complexity at all, tells you that that, had to, that creation had to come from a creator. You know, the, the watch, I guess not too many of you carry a watch on your wrist anymore. I didn't even wear mine tonight. But the watch uh, is, a, is a, an, an intricate instrument. Uh, keeping time, and, and uh, it testifies to the fact that someone made it. It had a creator. It had someone that built it and put it together. Uh, and it is so simple and obvious here that he's saying that same thing. He's saying, look, even if they didn't have the barricade of the Bible, they have the barricade of creation, which is, which is screaming out, is testifying clearly that there's a creator that there's a God behind it all, that there is one who put it together and holds it together. It, it's a, uh, it, it is obvious when you get on the other side and look back at it as a child of God, you can see it much more clearly. But he says even the lost, even the unconverted should be able to see it 
obviously and clearly because it's so evident, it's so plain, it's before his eyes. And it even goes to the point where it says even the details of God, the invisible things of him from the creation of the world, even his eternal power, even his Godhead, the, the deity, the trinity, the uh, evidence of, of uh, the expressions of God, they're, they're there in creation if, uh, if man would look to them. So it's the barricade of creation. There's the third barricade, and that's you and me, the barricade of the church. Uh, Paul said to Timothy, as he was speaking of his responsibilities in the congregation of believers that he was pastor of, he says to Timothy, he declares to him, the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. So the Lord instilled uh, or instituted into the church, his churches, that they were to be the carriers and the basis and the foundation and the place where the truth would be deposited. And it was to be uh, disseminated to the world out of the foundation of the churches. So that's the barricade that we have here. The Lord Jesus Christ commissioned his churches. You know, he met with the disciples as he prepared to leave and go back to heaven. He met with the brethren together there. Uh, and he told them, he said, uh, you're, to, you're to take this gospel and you're to preach it in all the world. And he said to go out into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And then in Matthew 28, he said, you take them and you, give them the, you teach them the truth of the gospel. You baptize them and then you teach them all the, the rest of the things that I have taught you. So the, the commission is not just the taking of the gospel. It's the taking of the whole word to the world. And that commission is given to ch local churches like ours. The Lord Jesus Christ commissioned His churches to take that word to our family, to our community, to our state, to our nation, to our world. And He told us that we're to be doing that all at the same time. Uh, we, have that, uh, we have that barricade that God has placed there. And all across the world, there's churches like ours that are supposed to be doing the same things. And I say, may I say to you that none of us are doing nearly as much as we could be doing in getting the gospel to our generation. How, uh, how often, you know, that is repeated and how often we are convicted by that. But yet uh, it remains a responsibility that all of us have. I thank God for... Uh, those that, um, you know, are going out with us on Saturdays and knocking doors and those that take a pocket full of gospel tracts and, and get them out uh, during the week. Or those that uh, leave, a, you know, a witness at a restaurant or a store where you're out. I thank God for every one of you and every time you do it. And thank the Lord for those that have a burden for a family member and go and give them the gospel and, and they're saved. I thank the Lord for the young people that come out and help us get the word out on Saturdays. I thank God for every uh, person that uh, is part of uh, any kind of outreach. To the, uh, it's, it's work to get up early, to go to the base, to preach the gospel there, to spend two, three hours there, come back, go to church here. It's a long day on Saturday to do that, on Sunday to do that. But I thank God for those that uh, uh, have uh, put themselves in that place and are willing. I thank the Lord for those that take a an evening of a Thursday and go to the uh, end of the jail ministry and preach the gospel there. I thank the Lord for every avenue where we haven't happened. I thank God for Brother Schmidt and his uh, burden for the uh, assisted living homes and those that are going with him now, Sam 
was in the other day, and then uh, Brother Guy has uh, been involved with that. I thank the Lord for those that are uh, taking that position, taking that action, and, and um, doing it because they're concerned for souls. And we are to be doing that in our family, in our community, and in our nation. I thank the Lord for every one of you that's having a part in helping us plant churches. I thank God for all of the people out of our church family that we've sent into the uh, training for Bible college and have gone into the work of the ministry over the years. And thank God for every one of them. And, and uh, thank God for those that He's called out of our midst to, <clears throat> to the mission field. And thank the Lord for that. Brother, uh, Brother Kyle is coming back. He's uh, in an interim period right now, but he's called to the mission field Poland. I don't know when that will be exactly that he'll, uh, that he'll be there, but that's his burden, that's his call. So for a time, we get to have him back among us, working uh, with us in, a, in this chapter of his, of his calling. Uh, thank God for that and for others that God has called and God will call. Maybe there are those here tonight that uh, the, the Lord has been burdening your heart about, uh, about uh, surrendering to uh, prepare yourself to go uh, to, the, to the field or... Maybe tonight it's not the field uh, of the world he's uh, burdened you for. He's burdened you for your next door neighbor or uh, for, um, you know, the person down there that you're working beside or uh, someone that uh, God has just placed on your heart and your family. Maybe that. Uh, let's ask God to help us be that barricade uh, that keeps someone, uh, that turns someone out of the broad way into the narrow way, turns someone off the highway that's uh, the, 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 it's a down way, it's always down, and it's a broad way, but it's a downward way, and, uh, and thank God we can make a difference in someone. So it's a barricade that, that is us, the church. The fourth barricade that uh, we see in the scriptures, the barricade of the conscience, the barricade of conscience. In Romans, you're there, Romans chapter 2, verse 14 uh, and following, Romans chapter 2, verse 14 through 16. When the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things that are contained in the law, these having not the law are law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. So there's a judgment coming and there is in every person not only the barricade of the Bible and the barricade of the creation and the barricade of the church, but there's the barricade of the individual's conscience. And he's placed that conscience in every one of us and in every person. He's given, God has given a conscience. And he says, so here's these Gentiles who's never heard the law of Moses and haven't had the, the word preached to them like you and me have. He's never heard the law of Moses, but in his conscience there's something telling him that this is right and this is wrong. And so either he is being excused by choosing that which is right or he's being accused by his conscience in choosing that which is wrong. So the apostle says, look, here's these persons that uh, may be living by the Ten Commandments without even knowing what they are. And here's the Jew over here who's got the Ten Commandments and all that they're associated with and not living by them. He's saying these have those same tendencies, but it doesn't come from the law of Moses directly. It comes from the conscience that God has built 
into the mind and the being of every person. So that's the barricade that exists there. There's a conscience that accuses. There's a conscience that brings guilt. There's a conscience that associates wrongdoing with judgment to come. And so that, uh, that conscience is there as a barricade for persons without any other knowledge of Christ. That conscience is drawing them to God and drawing them to seek after God. And I don't understand how it all works, and I can't tell you how the mechanics of it works out, but the Bible does tell us that those that seek Him are going to be able to find Him. I don't know how, and I don't know the... the I can't tell you, I can't explain it to you, but uh, I know that the seeker is, is a promise. The, er, the, uh, the uh, diligent seeker has the promise that God will uh, make Himself known to them. And so... We have that barricade. All men have that barricade of the conscience. We read that the conscience can be destroyed. The conscience can be seared as with a hot iron. It's like taking a branding iron and searing the skin and where, the, where there's no more feeling. There's no more nerve ending. They're burned away. And the scar tissue is, uh, there's no sense of feeling. And that's the idea there. Uh, when he says that the conscience can be seared with a hot iron. So it is possible to shut the conscience up, to get it to the place where there is no more guilt, where there is no more sense of wrong and right. Uh, we, we certainly have, have, have seen often enough demonstrations of a conscience seared with a hot iron where persons do things that we consider unthinkable and yet do them without any sense of guilt whatsoever. That's the searing of the conscience. But God has placed the conscience there as a barricade. He's given that opportunity. The last one is the barricade of God's Son Himself. John 1, 17, we, uh, we began there with our series in the book of John some time ago. The law of Moses, the Bible says, the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And in our Hebrew study, and when we got to Hebrews chapter 1, the very first part of Hebrews chapter 1, we were reminded how God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake unto, the, uh, spake unto people by the prophets and by different means, but he said in these last days he has spoken unto us by his Son by way of the Word of God, by way of the Holy Spirit of God, who is the one that uh, God has uh, assigned with, with reproving the world of uh, sin, and righteousness, and judgment to come. So the Word of God, working with the uh, Holy Spirit of God because of the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, uh, is speaking to us, speaking to man, speaking to the world, and the barricade that we have here of, of God's Son. The Holy Spirit is convicting of sin, first of all. He convicts, he reproves the world of sin. So these persons that have a conscience of right and wrong are being, that conscience is being worked on by the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, he's reproving the world of sin. And then he's also reproving the world of righteousness. He's comparing the sin of man to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The righteousness of God and he's showing the great gulf that is between man's sinful being and God's righteous being. So of sin, righteousness, and then the final thing he reproves and brings to the conscience of the lost is that there's a judgment coming. 
there's a judgment coming. So every man has intrinsic in him that sense that there is judgment for sin. Uh, he may not even know to call it sin, but he has that intrinsic sense there's a judgment coming. Religions spring up all around the world, and wherever there's people, there's religion. And religions spring up all around the world trying to answer that question of what will I do with my sin? Uh, how will I avoid and escape judgment? How will I keep the demons and the devils off of me and off of my family? And, and uh, how, will I, how will I live? How will I, where will I go? What will happen to me when I die? It's the, it's the conundrum of religion without the Bible, you know. Uh, but God has placed these barricades, these various barricades on the highway and now God has assigned you and me to that assignment and given us that part and said, get by the barricade and get your flags up and get them rolling and put the batteries back in the flashing light and get, get the warnings going out there in whatever means that you can because God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved, you see. And so um, God has done it. He set them in place. We're part of that purpose. Let's ask God to help us to understand what our part is and Get your flag, get your batteries back in the flashlight and in the uh, warning signals and get the light in the lighthouse lit up and let's do that. We have many opportunities to do that. There's various ways we can, uh, we can have, uh, the, have a part in that, isn't there? And so we need to be doing our part. There was a time, you know, when we started the church uh, 33 years ago that uh, you could knock on about 100 doors and you could count on at least one person uh, showing up that next Sunday, you know, at least one. And there was often two or three, four uh, for a hundred doors. So if you could knock a thousand doors, you could expect 10 to 15 people would come from, as a result of that. And so over the years, that number has diminished, diminished, diminished. And now it's about a thousand doors, about a thousand doors that you go to, that you knock on, you put a track in the door if they're not home, and about a thousand doors and one person will show up in church. And you say, well, let's quit doing that then. Well, we can't, can we? <laughs> we can't quit doing that. Because the scripture tells us that the, 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 mo the model we have is the one we read in the book of Acts. It said, it said that they did this daily in the temple and in every house. They ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. So it's just something we, and Jesus sent them out two by two. And he, you know, he commissioned them to go and he told them, give them, give them the gospel. And he told them to go. And so we're trying to follow that model, you know, keep doing that. And you say, well, you know, let's just do what works. Well, you know, let's just do what the Scripture says to do and let the Lord work it out how it works. And so uh, we're, we're doing that. But uh, so if it takes a thousand to get one person to even show up and come, uh, and, and, and then oftentimes that person, you know, is just, it's just a one-time one thing. It takes uh, probably 10,000 <coughs> 10, doors to get someone to come and, and get saved and get plugged in and baptized and, and growing. So uh, because the numbers are, are more difficult doesn't mean we should quit doing it. just means we should be doing more of it. And we should have more people involved in, in helping us get the word out. If, um, you know, if we, put, if we get out there and we end up with 10,000 doors a week, we're going to see some people coming. And we're going to see some people getting saved. And we're going to see some differences being made. And... Uh, you know, only God knows what the, what the ultimate result will be, but our part's just to be faithful regardless. And so let's be that barricade. Let's stand together.